Aunt Jane's Nieces Abroad. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Margot Zinberg. Aunt Jane's Nieces Abroad by L. Frank Baum. Prefatory. The author is pleased to be able to present a sequel to Aunt Jane's Nieces, the book which was received with so much favor last year. Yet it is not necessary one should have read the first book to fully understand the present volume, the characters being taken to entirely new scenes. The various foreign localities are accurately described, so that those who have visited them will recognize them at once, while those who have not been so fortunate may acquire a clear conception of them. It was my good fortune to be an eye-witness of the recent eruption of Vesuvius. Lest I be accused of undue sensationalism in relating the somewhat dramatic Sicilian incident, I will assure my reader that the story does not exaggerate present conditions in various parts of the island. In fact, Il Duca and Tato are drawn from life, although they did not have their mountain lair so near to Tormina as I have ventured to locate it. Except that I have adapted their clever system of brigandage to the exigencies of this story, their history is truly related. Many who have traveled somewhat outside the beaten tracks in Sicily will frankly vouch for this statement. Italy is doing its best to suppress the Mafia, and to eliminate brigandage from the beautiful islands it controls, but so few of the inhabitants are Italians, or in sympathy with the government, that the work of reformation is necessarily slow. Americans especially must exercise caution in traveling in any part of Sicily, yet with proper care not to tempt the irresponsible natives, they are as safe in Sicily as they are at home. Aunt Jane's nieces are shown to be as frankly adventurous as the average clear-headed American girl, but their experiences amid the environments of an ancient and still primitive civilization are in no wise extraordinary. Edith Van Dyne Chapter 1 the Doyles are astonished. It was Sunday afternoon in Miss Patricia Doyle's pretty flat at 3708 Willing Square. In the small drawing-room, Patricia, or Patsy as she preferred to be called, was seated at the piano, softly playing the one piece the music teacher had succeeded in drilling into her flighty head, by virtue of much patience and perseverance. In a thick-cushioned Morris chair reclined the motionless form of Uncle John, a chubby little man in a gray suit, whose features were temporarily eclipsed by the newspaper that was spread carefully over them. Occasionally, a gasp or a snore from beneath the paper suggested that the little man was snoozing, as he sometimes gravelly called it, instead of listening to the music. Major Doyle sat opposite, stiffly erect, with his admiring eyes full upon Patsy, at times he drummed upon the arms of his chair in unison with the music, nodding his grizzled head to mark the time, as well as to emphasize his evident approbation. Patsy had played the same piece from start to finish seven times since dinner, because it was the only one she knew, but the Major could have listened to it seven hundred times, without the flicker of an eyelash. It was not that he admired so much the piece the girl was playing, as the girl who was playing the piece. His pride in Patsy was unbounded. That she should have succeeded at all in mastering that imposing-looking instrument, making it actually play tunes, was surely a thing to wonder at. But then Patsy could do anything, if she but tried. Suddenly Uncle John gave a dreadful snort, and sat bolt upright, 
gazing at his companions with a startled look that melted into one of benign complacency as he observed his surroundings and realized where he was. The interruption gave Patsy an opportunity to stop playing the tune. She swung around on the stool and looked with amusement at her newly awakened uncle. "'You've been asleep,' she said. "'No, indeed, quite a mistake,' replied the little man seriously. "'I've only been thinking.' "'And such beautiful thoughts,' observed the mayor testily, for he resented the interruption of his Sunday afternoon treat. "'You thought him aloud, sir, and the sound of it was a bad imitation of a bullfrog in a marsh. You'll have to give up eating the salad, sir.' "'Bah, don't I know?' asked Uncle John indignantly. "'Well, if your knowledge is better than our hearing, I suppose you do,' retorted the major." but to an ignorant individual like meself the impression conveyed was that you snored like a man that has forgotten his manners and gone to sleep in the presence of a lady then no one has a better right to do that declared patsy soothingly and i'm sure our dear uncle john's thoughts were just the most beautiful dreams in the world tell us of them sir and we'll prove the major utterly wrong even her father smiled at the girl's diplomacy, and Uncle John, who was on the verge of unreasonable anger, beamed upon her gratefully. "'I'm going to Europe,' he said. The Major gave an involuntary start, and then turned to look at him curiously. "'And I'm going to take Patsy along,' he continued, with a mischievous grin. The Major frowned. "'Control yourself, sir, until you are fully awake,' said he. "'You're dreaming again.' Patsy swung her feet from side to side, for she was such a little thing that the stool raised her entirely off the floor. There was a thoughtful look on her round, freckled face, and a wistful one in her great blue eyes, as the full meaning of Uncle John's abrupt avowal became apparent. The Major was still frowning, but a half-frightened expression had replaced the one of scornful raillery, for he, too, knew that his eccentric brother-in-law was likely to propose any preposterous thing, and then carry it out in spite of all opposition. But to take Patsy to Europe would be like pulling the Major's eye teeth or amputating his good right arm. Worse, far worse. It would mean taking the sunshine out of her old father's sky altogether, and painting it a grim, despairing gray. But he resolved not to submit without a struggle. "'Sir,' said he sternly, he always called his brother-in-law sir when he was in a sarcastic or reproachful mood i've had an idea for some time that you were plotting mischief you haven't looked at me straight in the eye for a week and you've been twice late to dinner i will ask you to explain to us sir the brutal suggestion you have just advanced uncle john laughed in the days when Major Doyle had thought him a poor man and in need of a helping hand, the grizzled old Irishman had been as tender toward him as a woman, and studiously avoided any speech or epithet that by chance might injure the feelings of his dead wife's only brother. But the Major's invariable courtesy to the poor or unfortunate was no longer in evidence when he found that John Merrick was a multimillionaire, with a strongly defined habit of doing good to others, and striving in obscure and unconventional ways to make everybody around him happy. His affection for the little man increased mightily, but his respectful attitude promptly changed, and a chance to reprove or discomfit his absurdly rich brother-in-law was one of his most satisfactory diversions. Uncle John appreciated this, and holding the dignified major in loving regard, was glad to cross swords with him now and then to add variety to their pleasant relations. 
"'It's this way, Major Doyle,' he now remarked coolly. "'I've been worried to death lately over business matters, and I need a change.' "'Oh, all your business is attended to by Isha Marvin and Company. "'You've no worry at all. "'Why, we've just made you a quarter of a million in C.H. and D.'s.' "'The we' is explained by stating that the Major held an important position in the great banking house, "'a position Mr. Merrick had secured for him some months previously.' "'That's it,' said Uncle John. "'You've made me a quarter of a million that I don't want. "'The C.H.&D stocks were going to pieces when I bought them, "'and I had reason to hope I'd lose a good round sum on them. "'But the confounded luck turned, "'and the result is an accumulation of all this dreadful money. "'So, my dear Major, before I'm tempted to do some other foolish thing, "'I've determined to run away, where business can't follow me, "'and where by industry and perseverance I can scatter some of my ill-gotten gains.' "'The Major smiled grimly. "'That's Europe right enough,' he said, "'and I don't object, John, to your going there whenever you please. "'You're disgracefully countrified.' and uniformed for a man of means, and Europe will open your eyes and prove to you how insignificant you really are. I advise you to visit Ireland, sir, which I'm reliably informed is the central jewel in Europe's crown of beauty. Go, and go whenever you please, sir, but forbear the wickedness of putting foolish thoughts into our Patsy's sweet head. She can't go a step, and you know it. It's positive cruelty to her, sir, to suggest such a thing." The Major's speech had a touch of the brogue when he became excited, but recovered when he calmed down. "'Why, you selfish old humbug!' cried Uncle John indignantly. "'Why can't she go when there's money and time to spare? Would you keep her here to cuddle and spoil a vigorous man like yourself, when she can run away and see the world and be happy?' "'It's a great happiness to cuddle the Major,' said Patsy softly. "'and the poor man needs it as much as he does his slippers "'or his oatmeal for breakfast. "'And Patsy has the house to look after,' added the Major, complacently. "'Uncle John gave a snort of contempt. "'For an unreasonable man, show me an Irishman,' he remarked. "'Here you've been telling me how Europe is an education and a delight, "'and in the next breath you deliberately deprive your little daughter, "'whom you pretend to love, of the advantages she might gain by trip abroad. "'And why?' "'just because you want her yourself, and might be a bit lonesome without her. "'But I'll settle that foolishness, sir, in short order. "'You shall go with us.' "'Impossible!' ejaculated the Major. "'It's the time of your most needed in the office, "'and Mr. Marvin has been so kind and considerate "'that I won't play him a dirty trick by leaving him in the lurch.' "'Patsy nodded approval. "'That's right, Daddy,' she said. "'Uncle John lay back in the chair and put the newspaper over his face again.' Patsy and her father stared at one another with grave intentness. Then the Major drew out his handkerchief and mopped his brow. "'You'd like to go, Maverine?' he asked softly. "'Yes, Daddy, but I won't, of course.' "'Tut, tut! Don't you go putting yourself against your old father's will, Patsy. It's not so far to Europe,' he continued thoughtfully. "'And you won't be away much longer than you were when you went to Elmhurst after Aunt Jane's money, which you didn't get.' "'Mary takes fine care of our little rooms, and doubtless I shall be so busy that I won't miss you at all at all. "'Daddy!' She was in his lap now, her chubby arms clasped around his neck, and her soft cheek laid close behind his rough and ruddy one. "'And when you get back, Patsy, darling,' he whispered, tenderly stroking her hair, "'the joy of the meeting will make up for all we've suffered. "'It's the way of life, Maverine. 
Unless a couple happens to be Siamese twins, they're bound to get separated in the course of events more or less, if not frequently. I won't go, Daddy. Oh, yes, you will. It's not like you to be breaking my heart by staying home. Next week, said that wicked old uncle, he reminds me of one that tried to destroy the babes in the woods, Patsy dear. You must try to reclaim him to humanity, for I'm hoping there's a bit of good in the old rascal yet. And he looked affectionately at the round little man under the newspaper. Uncle John emerged again. It was wonderful how well he understood the Doyle family. His face was now smiling and wore a look of supreme satisfaction. "'Your selfishness, my dear Major,' said he, "'is like the husk on a coconut. "'When you crack it, there's plenty of milk within, "'and in your case, it's the milk of human kindness. "'Come, let's talk over the trip.'" End of chapter 1